Hello, this is Drink the Music. A podcast where each week we listen to an album, make a cocktail, and have a chat about it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the music. Well, hello, and welcome to Volume 8 of Drink the Music. I'm Brian here, as always, with Michaela. And Michaela, today we're going to be talking about an album uh, that is heralded uh, by a lot of folks as one of the most important uh, pieces of rock and roll music uh, ever put down on uh, recording thing. Tape, cassette, <laughs> CD, 8-track maybe. I don't know for sure. Uh, but today we're talking about U2's The Joshua Tree. This is part magnum opus for U2. It is part gospel from U2. Uh, but it, it it's real good. It's a real good album. It's, uh, it's going to be tricky to talk about. This album's been talked about a lot by a lot more people that are more in tune with the music than we are. But I think we have some fun things to talk about it. Uh, U2, The Joshua Tree. Michaela, what are we thinking? A lot, I think, about the Joshua Tree. I think that this is definitely the most iconic album of U2, which is saying a lot because by this time, I mean, this is their fifth album, um, and it definitely feels like they have settled in. You know, they've been a band at this point for about, I want to say, 10 years uh, by the time this album made its way out. They'd already been heralded in 1985 as like the band of the 80s, which is pretty amazing considering we didn't know what was to come from 86 through 90. Right. Um, but they're already, it didn't uh, matter. <laughs> right. It, I guess it didn't matter because they were that great. Um, they'd already made a name for themselves in, in the first four albums, they'd carved out um, quite a few hits. Uh, and then this just kind of came and revolutionized the way people thought about you too. And it's funny now thinking about what it must've been like hearing this album when it did come out, because if you were already a U2 fan, um, it's very different sounds, uh, mm -hmm, kind of exploring, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people talk about it like in a biblical sense because of the spirituality behind it. Um, but now it has been, I don't know, 30 years, 35, 35, geez, 35, 35 years. Yeah. Been, and now, like everybody thinks of this album as the YouTube, uh, YouTube, U2 kind of iconic uh, tour de force of what that the band um, brought to, you know, the world music, you know, listening ear of 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 all, right? So mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting that there was a there was a YouTube before this, and there was a YouTube after this, and we can talk about that a little bit. But this is like the cornerstone of I think most YouTube fans. Um, especially if you are kind of an easy listening YouTube fan, if you're like a super fan fanatic, maybe not, but um, this is where it all kind of, this is the crux of it all for us. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned kind of the albums before. So who was U2 uh, up until we get the Joshua Tree? So uh, we have U2 is Bono, The Edge, Adam Clayton, and Larry Mullen Jr. Uh, U2 was formed in 1976 when a 14-year-old Larry Mullen Jr. hangs up a flyer advertising band tryouts in his parents' kitchen. Paul Hewson, Bono, David Evans, The Edge, Adam Clayton, uh, Dick Evans, uh, The Edge's brother, uh, turn up to form the group Feedback. And in 1977, uh, it's just a year later, they played their first paid gig. Uh, they changed their name from Feedback to The Hype uh, before a friend of Adam Clayton suggested a couple of different band names for them. Uh, U2 was amongst them, and that's what they settled on. Um, and I love this, Michaela. So in March of that year, um, after changing the name to U2, uh, they had a performance where they were performing some cover songs, uh, which is what they were doing uh, kind of up 
up until that point. And then uh, Dick Evans, who was older than the rest of the boys, was off to college. So uh, he quit the band, left the band. So they played some cover songs. Then halfway through the show, uh, Dick, you know, kind of walks off the stage, uh, you know, kind of a, a final farewell to Dick. Right. <laughs> Very pro move, pro move. And then they the band came back out and performed uh, original songs as U2. So the U2, the four piece band was born there um, in that uh, sense. Uh, U2 eventually lands with Columbia Records. Uh, they built a really big following, actually, in Ireland. They'd won a bunch of like um, like Guinness uh, band events and things like that kind of up until that point. They'd had some uh, trouble catching on with a record deal because they were so young, uh, but finally land with Columbia Records um, and then start releasing their albums into the world. 1980, you have Boy, which went platinum. October comes in 1981, platinum. War, 1983, four times platinum. And The Unforgettable Fire in 1984, three times platinum. So uh, you too already a pretty big band by the time Joshua Tree comes out. Uh, they're looking to change their sound a little bit, to explore some things, to get a little bit more spiritual with stuff. And uh, they're going to take this blend of kind of traditional Irish music and American folk music and set out to explore these two Americas, which was the working title of the album, The Real and the Mythical America in the Joshua Tree. And I really think that makes sense because listening to some of these songs, and we're going to talk about it during kind of the deep dive, you... Uh... I didn't know that 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 it was called it was going to be called the two Americas right and rather than the Joshua tree um, Joshua tree for those who don't know it, it's a tree but it's also a national park um, that is in California and it's really amazing if you ever get a chance to go um, so that's where they took all the pictures of like the desert and uh, but it's really interesting to me because they're Irish uh, in heritage, right? This band, and they're singing about songs that totally resonated with a lot of middle America, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, doing that research and thinking about it in a different way, um, yeah, listening to some of these songs, there were these, the, this dichotomy of what we thought of as this mythical idea of America being the land of milk and honey, the American dream and all these things versus like, what it was really like in in that period of time for mm. the majority of working class individuals, um, but not only in America, but what that might have been what what helped formulate that those ideas and that sound uh, from an Irish perspective, too. It was just really kind of neat um, and something I had never really thought of before until I, I really started analyzing this uh, for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's do this, Michaela. Before we get into the album, we're going to need a really good drink to uh, to get into this and chat about it. So let's do that. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to uh, whip up this week's cocktail. We'll be right back. All right. So this cocktail, you we wanted to do something. I remember when we talked about find, you know, the ideation of what we wanted to do. We wanted to do something that paid homage to like this desert wasteland, but also mm -hmm wasn't sand in our mouth i do remember there were a couple really like dusty cocktails that we talked about um yep. and it was like yeah i don't know if that's gonna really work um and then you found this uh kind of prickly pear concoction which uh was easy to make and totally delicious yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was trying to think of uh, some flavors that would go along here with the Joshua tree. And I was thinking, you know, what kind of what kind of like desert flavors do you get? And a lot of that, yeah, was like tequila and like ancho chilies and stuff like that. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't really get that vibe from the album necessarily. But I, I do definitely get like the essence of the desert uh, here for sure. Um, but, you know, it's it's very much rooted in kind of this uh, traditional Irish scent. So I wanted to pair up those flavors together. So, uh, you know, something something sophisticated, but simple sweet and sour, uh, delicious, uh, from the deserts, 
uh, from the streets of Ireland, and we came up with the Prickly Pear Whiskey Sour. Um, it's real simple. Uh, whiskey Sour is a fantastic drink. It is fancy looking, fancy tasting, but it's real simple to put together. Um, so just going to need a couple of things, and let's do this. So into your shaker tin, go ahead and put in three quarters of an ounce of Prickly Pear Syrup. Um, now, I found some Prickly Pear Syrup uh, online, so I just ordered that. You could make your own if you have access to Prickly Pears. Just do a simple syrup, you know, cut up some uh, prickly pears, let them steep in there. It's going to pull out uh, that essence there of the prickly pear. Um, so three quarters of an ounce of that, three quarters of an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, one and a half ounces of Irish whiskey, and an egg white. All that goes into your shaker tin. Go ahead and give that a nice uh, vigorous shake for 20 to 30 seconds. And then you're going to add some ice and shake it again. 20 to 30 more seconds, get it nice and cold, and then strain it into a coupe glass, rocks glass, martini glass, any kind of glass uh, you want to go with. Um, it's going to get this nice creamy layer on top. It is going to be this bright, vibrant pink from that prickly pear syrup. Um, and then you're going to sip and enjoy. It's going to be delicious. Uh, prickly pear if you're not familiar it's kind of it's it's real real sweet um it's kind of like this um it's almost like cotton candy meets a meets a watermelon uh sort of flavor it's yeah, it's yeah. real good uh it would probably be good if you were out stranded in the desert and you ate one <laughs> probably i don't know you'd go nuts or something but uh real delicious so uh michaela what do you think about whiskey sours in general but then in particular this one pairing it with that uh prickly pear syrup I uh, was very excited uh, to see this because I love myself a good whiskey sour and I've gotten really into them the last couple of years here at Drink the Movies. Um, I didn't know how to make them. I didn't know that there were multiple kind of ways in which that could go. Uh, but spoiler warning, it's delicious. Um, this, I like the egg white. I think all whiskey sours should have egg white in it uh, because it gives it that really creamy mouthfeel um, without being creamy it's kind of weird but just go with it if you've never done it look if you don't like whiskey sours you should try this one anyway because it mm. doesn't taste really anything like a whiskey sour it's a very uh it's got a good it's got the same mouthfeel because of the egg white but the um the prickly pearness adds some some sweetness so if you aren't really into like a normal classic whiskey sour i really uh, encourage you to try this because it's very it's a very different profile and the reason why that's a sour is just because of the way that we made it with the with the with the lemon juice mm -hmm. but it's delicious um and i do think that this definitely resonates better from a from an album vibe perspective because it's it's so uh, fl not floral, but it's so much brighter. And the album itself mm -hmm. is got these moments of desolation, but also like so much richness to it. And when you're starving or dying of thirst in the desert, the prickly pear is supposed to be like nectar from the gods. I mean, the people yep. who would talk about it, um, biting into it that first time and and as the juice is running down it's like the best thing ever and that it's very umptuous and i really like that yeah exactly it has kind of a, a subtle sophistication to it here uh this cocktail uh which is which is really great and pairs nicely with the album so go ahead and give that a try or just make up a, a regular whiskey sour if you want and uh, take pictures send those in and all that stuff but uh, now michaela we have this cocktail made what we need to do is we need to take a quick break uh we'll put the record on and we'll be right back to talk about YouTube's The Joshua Tree. We'll be right back. All right, Michaela, let's just uh, jump on into YouTube's The Joshua Tree uh, coming in from 1987. We're going to have 11 tracks here today, so uh, not too long. It's only about 50 minutes, uh, but it is a uh, 50... Um, uh, well-spent minutes, I will say. So we're going to get this started off with track number one, where the streets have no name. Uh, 
there's kind of the synthesized organ that like you can you can't even hear when the track starts and it just slowly kind of builds up and builds up um and i kind of liken this as to like this synthesized organ as like washing over you like literally like baptizing you uh into the joshua tree you get this little guitar riff from the edge that starts to make its way into the song uh then this giant kind of crescendo happens and then bono comes in i want to run i want to hide i want to tear down the walls that hold me inside welcome to the joshua tree by you too michaela uh, in my humble opinion, this is the greatest opening song of any album ever. I could be wrong, uh, but I'm probably not. Uh, it has this kind of I don't ethereal, think you are. <laughs> it has kind of this ethereal quality to it, uh, which I think captures kind of this vast magic of the desert, uh, you know, which really was so inspirational um, in putting this album together. And it's bringing, you know, these images of hope and hopelessness um, at the same time and kind of this pursuit of equality. Uh, yeah, it's it's great, Michaela. What Brian said, everybody, just we should just not even listen to anything. I, I that that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And I think I felt so poetic right. when I was listening to it. Yeah. 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 Well, totally. <laughs> I mean, um, it's it's the best. It's the best intro to an album. I actually wrote this down in my notes. It's the best intro to an album that I can remember um, because of the way that it, it builds the way that you just said. Right. We have this idea that. Um, I don't know if I'm falling. I don't know if I'm driving fast to it. I know that I personally love uh, waking up in the morning and uh, I used to listen to this going to school or to work. And if the sun was coming up, I always put this song on because it just it's the way it's like the universe waking up. You're waking up a spiritual awakening um, and the uh, uncertainty of what's going to happen in your day, in your life. Uh, your relationship uh, from a, from a spirituality perspective, um, there's so much that this that this song creates, and it's interesting because uh, and it's interesting because when you hear this song, you can't help but um, but think of it as a beginning rather than an ending. And somebody told me that they would have preferred that this would this that they changed the orders uh, of music in this there's like a there's like this underground swell if you look at it on reddit there where people are like mm. if i could change the order of this it's like star wars it's, <laughs> it's like the star wars trilogy but not um if they were going to change the order of the songs and i think they're crazy because i think this is the absolute best opening that's, song of that's any the worst album idea i've ever heard that's, right? that's the worst idea i've ever heard this Dude, is this is the perfect opening song you gotta go check uh, it out because it's it's ridiculous it's the perfect uh, opening song um right. and it's I think you're right, though, like you say it like a baptism because you can almost hear this wave of sound kind of wash over you. The lyrics are pristine and perfect. I mean, it's just um, it's just amazing. And coincidentally, talking the the. The, the music video is amazing of this as well. I don't know if mm. we're allowed to talk about the music video, but um, but the music video is really cool. Um, my my husband, who is not a huge U2 fan because he likes Pearl Jam, I, I don't understand why you can't, it, why they're mutually exclusive. We can talk about that later. But, um, but he remembers uh, the first time he ever saw the video of this. And he was like, this is the most amazing thing because it's this... Uh, uh, completely spontaneous kind of concert that happens right and mm, that mm -hmm. is and it was real it was a real thing where this band just kind of shows up and they're like hey um and it's so cool um and he goes on about how that made him feel and it's 
it's the best way to start this album. And we talk about consuming albums uh, in a different way. I definitely think if you're, if you've never really listened to this album, you should in its entirety, because um, it's probably now the only way I'm ever going to fly. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And I liken it to a baptism because this album is very evangelical uh, kind of sounding to me. Um, and we're going to carry on with that theme here into track number two. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, so this song right here, it's a rock and roll gospel. Um, it's feelings of longing for love, for religious enlightenment, desperate for some kind of connection somehow, some way. Uh, it's a beautiful song, uh, I think, uh, by all standards. Uh, it has kind of this sense of this gospel choir bit, especially because um, you'll get the uh, the members of the band coming in and like this three part harmony to sing, you know, still haven't found what I'm looking for, which gives it kind of this gospel uh, sort of sort of tone uh, to it, which is really pretty great. Uh, this was the second single from the album, and it was the second single to go number one. Yeah, the, I, I love this song. This it's it's hard it's hard to choose. This might be my favorite song on the album, just because <laughs> it, it's a real it Sophie's can, choice here in this uh, it, first three tracks. It really is, um, because it is so ethereal and uplifting, and yet scared. Like you can hear. Um, I, I I was listening to an interview uh, where Bono was talking about um, his voice and what he wanted to do in the eighties. And somebody had talked to him and I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, look, your voice is amazing and you could do all these things, but you have to sing about something that you really care about. Um, you have, it has to be something that, that breaks you. And I feel it in this song where he is, you know, the, the, the protagonist in this, in this song is looking and searching for something. And you don't know when, when I was young, I remember, I thought it was about love. Um, in my, in my middle ages, I thought it was about, you know, fulfillment in life. Now it, it, I think it's like, it's the ultimate question. Like, what are you searching for? And it's this dichotomy mm -hmm. of when, it, when you find it, what will have your, what will your question have been? It's, um, it's a very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of thing, right? Where we're like, I don't know what I'm finding. I'll know it when I get there, but what am I actually looking for? And that kind of duality and that mirredness um, is so prophetic. Uh, and that's what makes this song uh, so amazing. Mm -hmm. And the fact yeah, that it's I the second one, they were like, okay, we got one good one. Let's let's do yeah, this. Let's, let's, let's do this one too. Let's just push yeah. this one out too. And the whole world was like, what? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I, I like, uh, kind of the the framing of this song here because you know it, it's talking about kind of all the things that you've done right scale the city walls you know I've, I've spoke with the tongue of angels I've I've kissed honey lips right it, it's you've done all these things but you still haven't found what you're looking for so it's almost putting kind of this like impotence on uh, the journey itself right it's the journey of life as being uh, kind of what you're you're actually uh, looking for here in this instance at least that's the way I take it uh, track two I still haven't found what I'm looking for and we get into track number three uh, this is the first single the first single to go number one uh, with or without you um, I love this little iconic bass line that kicks the song off it's got uh, softer vocals um, and I really like kind of in the in the refrains here the edge is just like making his guitar scream it sounds so pained I love that so much uh, uh, she got me with nothing to win and nothing left to lose has to be uh, amongst the most tragic rock and roll lines ever written I think uh, the outro to the song is as powerful as the intro because uh, kind of the sustained guitar just uh, keeps hanging on like it's really leaving you with a sense of longing uh, from with or without you uh, it's great uh, the song itself is just shy of five minutes uh, but once it's over you're like man I wish this would go on for like ever basically yeah. so yeah. 
No, I mean, other than other than getting rid of his poor pain, because he is so, uh, he he, it's it's like a haunting, um, just a pained like like the and then with that guitar, like you said, that high note, it it's it's almost going to break and crack or 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 uh, stretching just too much to where it's never going to be the same again, um, and feeling like uh, what again. For me, it was, what is this song about? Is it about a, a love that's, you know, kind of toxic, but you can't get away from it? Mm, that didn't sit right. That sat, that sat real right for me when, in like the mid nineties, when I was in high school, this, this is great for teenage thanks. It's great. But uh, old, what, you know, the older you get, the more this song changes with you and it, and, and it, it probably has never changed. Right. But you have grown into what this song actually means and the meaning of it. Um, and combined with these top three songs I, I wrote in my notes did they intentionally like top load all their singles or what because it's like you think things are not going to get any better uh with streets have no name then you have still haven't found what I'm looking for and then you follow it up with this gem it's 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 like you can't get any better it's like a three-layer chocolate cake it's all amazing it just gets mm -hmm. better and better and this one, I think, because of the down register, um, he starts really down um, and and almost speaking the lyrics um, in this, like, just a deeper, rich richness to it. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that it's, it's certainly a sadder <laughs> song than the other two. Um, it's a really uh, beautiful way to kind of explore the opening of the rest of the album, which gets into some other, like, topics altogether right this this to me is like the the father son and the holy ghost of this album right you have all these three ideas that kind of mesh and meld um and then create this kind of byway and highway to all of these other thought processes that occur when you listen to this album um mm -hmm. and if you're not a huge youtube fan if you you definitely heard more than just these three songs but you might not have known it um I think it's it's such a cool way to to experience you two because this album it, it, it was put together so purposefully um in mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, and of course, you know, when they're when they're putting the album together, you don't know really how songs are going to to hit and stuff like that, right? So you're you're kind of you know playing around with it. And apparently there was some back and forth on which songs would be singles, but I mean you put on the Joshua tree and it's basically like a U2 greatest hits uh coming right out of the gate here. So uh that's our first three tracks, which gets us into track number four, Bullet the Blue Sky. Um this one is uh some growly vocals and has this kind of more industrial uh sound, uh, kind of rock and roll thing going on. Uh, apparently when they're uh recording the song they wanted to really go for that industrial sound so they they played the drum track through a pa system and like the neighboring warehouse and then recorded it in the studio uh next door so it has this huge kind of vast open uh warehouse vibe to it it's it's really cool. it's really neat i you have, had no idea you have to kind of kind of listen to it and it almost sounds kind of like an echo chamber there because yeah. of that i was gonna ask you about that because that that sound i put in my notes i have no idea how they did that uh because it's like like you said it's like echoey and rocky and really heavy mm -hmm. um wow yeah, it's not, okay it's not, yeah Unpacked. it sounds like it sounds almost you know if they were playing it like in like in 
airplane hangar or something, right? Because there's just so much echo and so much like vast space to it. So uh, Bullet the Blue Sky, it's very politically charged. It's uh, really kind of drilling down on the military involvements in South America during the 80s, which is uh, something Bono is uh, very passionate about. Um, and apparently this song is one of the band's favorite songs. Uh, it opened almost every live performance for U2 from the Joshua Tree Tour in 1987 all the way up until the Vertigo Tour in 2005. That is a lot of shows to open with this song. Um, I really like kind of the, the the messaging of this song and how it pairs up with like this highly strained kind of guitar solo uh, here as we talk about Bullet with uh, Blue Sky. Yeah, I, I, the high pitch vocals of the it, it definitely feels like you're entering a war zone. Uh, I feel um, it's interesting that you say that it's it was this their opening song, because I definitely feel like, um, again, where the streets have no name, probably the best opening album song ever. But like this, I totally could see. Now I've never seen you two in concert um, live. I, I've seen videos and things, but this is like, come with us down into the dirt um, and and be with us here as we as we kind of talk about some of these issues and um, the the grittiness of it is is really amazing. Yeah, so it it's it doesn't surprise me that this was their opening song from a concert perspective. I've never seen them live, um, but in the videos that I've seen of this of them opening with this, it's very much coming down into the dirt with us, experience this with us. It feels like you're in this war zone kind of torn place, um, and the haunting vocals on top of this like serious reverb. I didn't know what to call it, so I'm so glad you said uh, what where that sound came from because it's so mm -hmm. weird and and. Um, and unlike any of their other songs, uh, super, super amazing work uh, from a sound mixing perspective on this for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially you go the the first three songs and, you know, as, you know, kind of big and epic as they are in terms of the songs that they are, they they feel very like small, like you could have seen these at a, at a very small auditorium. But Bullet the Blue Sky sounds like it's just this this huge, just vast sort of ness of space that the the band is playing in there so uh that gets us to track number five running to stand still uh bono cites lou reed and the velvet underground as major inspirations to the song i get a lot of bruce springsteen vibes out of running to stand still um it's kind of this uh, more soft subdued uh folk song um especially coming after bullet the blue sky you know which is more searing for sure uh running to stand still it's telling this tale kind of of overdose it's very poetic talking about kind of these these mean tough streets uh, around Dublin, uh, you know, where, where Bono uh, kind of grew up there. It's very poetic, uh, the lyrics, and it, it gradually kind of builds into the final line of the song, which is she's running the standstill, uh, where it kind of just, you know, tails off and ends. Apparently, if you went onto uh, U2's, like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know, like fan page or whatever. Uh, they have kind of like these walking tour things of you two. And they're like, uh, don't go to the area that the song uh, talks about because it's a bad, bad time. Don't go there on foot. But apparently it's been uh, kind of cleaned up and revitalized and stuff. But yeah, it's it's telling this uh, this tale of uh, of overdose. It's real sad, um, I think, but running to stand still. Yeah. No, I, 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 this is where I started to really think of things from uh, kind of an Irish perspective for the first time. Um, because to me, this, this song reminds me of like Skid Row, some of the really like Tenderloin district in San Francisco, like places that are known to be these seedy, like drug addled, very heavy drug influenced, uh, areas of, of 
the United States, right? Where mm-hmm. th- there's people, you know, th- that have very tough relationships with drugs that are finding themselves without homes and things like that. Um, but then this ah, la 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 today kind of uh, lyric comes in and then I'm transformed back to what it might have been like in Dublin or, uh, you know, a- a- you know, any of those towns where there's that street that no one likes to go down um, Mm -hmm. uh, unless they're looking for a fix. Right. And that uh, really got me thinking about this idea of, you know, Hey, I've been so American in, in my listening of this album. Um, And it's, it's, it's like this duality here was really transformative for me because this is, I feel like it's the first ballad uh, on the album. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's got this, like, like you said, this kind of Irish lullaby to it on top of this, like, really gritty story uh, about a a girl who just uh, has has a very dark relationship with uh, with heroin. So I one of my it's one of my favorites because of the way that it makes me think about things very differently and challenges my paradigm and we talked about this a lot when we talk about films but I love music that makes me think differently and makes me grow and challenges a thought process that I've had for 40 some odd years and that really this song did that for me and so it's 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 one of my favorites on the album for that reason Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and track five, Running to Stand Still, it really kind of piggybacks then those themes onto the onto the next track, track six. But before we get into that, we're going to have to flip the uh, album over here, Michaela, and take a wee bit of an album break. So uh, let's talk about U2's The Joshua Tree here for just a second. Uh, they sold a lot of these, Michaela, <laughs> 10 times platinum in the United States and 25 million uh, copies roughly worldwide. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked it as the 26th best album of all time in 2003, the 27th best album in 2012 and the um big drop off here 135th best album of all time in 2020 i think uh, those voters might have been a little agitated uh about uh, u2's album going straight onto their iphone not 100 sure uh there why the uh the tail off we can talk about that here in just a minute um still haven't found what i'm looking for uh, rolling stone ranks as their 321st best song of all time with or without you is their 211th best song of all time uh and uh the u2 song one is also on that list so that's pretty good to have three songs in the top uh, 500 songs of all time good job you two uh let's see this was nominated for the song and record of the year for still haven't found what i'm looking for and it won the grammy for album of the year there have been two remasters and reissues of this album michaela one for the 20th anniversary and one for the 30th anniversary which just happened about five years ago and then they did the uh, huge gigantic joshua tree uh stadium tour where they just played the Joshua Tree uh, in 2017 here in the U.S. and then 2019 kind of elsewhere around the world, I believe. Uh, this album, pretty important, so says Congress. It was na- added to the National Recording Registry in 2014, making it the first uh, Irish album to be put on that list. Um, and this album, as we might have mentioned back in our Coldplay, uh, Viva La Vida or Death and All of His Friends, was uh, produced by the one and only Brian Eno, uh, a master uh, at his craft of putting these albums together so uh that is you know kind of the the bullet points here about u2's joshua tree but uh michaela you know everyone knows those first three songs right we mentioned that kind of as we were going through there um had you listened to any of the rest of this album prior to yesterday yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) yes i can resoundingly say yes so i remember um when i was like 
12, 13, uh, I would go to this like arcade pool hall uh, that was for, for like family friendly and uh, with or without you would play like ad nauseum. It was like there was the, everybody loved that song. And um, I remember being like, this is a really cool band, you too. And, you know, I was young. I didn't know any better. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to say that until and that's going to be my excuse. But for I don't know, a good three or four of my formative years from 12 to 16 I mean I really didn't consume more than like the three singles um and it wasn't until I really got into college and started to explore the idea of of albums and uh, really be and and have Napster uh and be able to like download songs um without paying for them <laughs> that I was like it really it was a bad thing I'm, I'm it's not good don't steal music that's not that's not good but I will say that from a musical education and research perspective like it opened my eyes to so many things that I never would have uh done um in at that time because you you know music was expensive you had to buy albums and it was hard to do so I really got into U2 for a good 18 months and like heavy consumed it uh in college and like started doing things like listening to albums and uh from front to back and things like that so um yeah we should we should probably i don't know i didn't like uh having it just show up having that album show up on my on my apple uh device when it did um but i do think that you've said this before that you two gets a lot of flack for that um and while they agreed to it I mean, it, look, it, Apple, if you want to put uh, Drink the Movies <laughs> on everybody's iPad, I, I don't know if I'd say no. So, yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. It was kind of kind of pointed there. And I think it's because, uh, you know, Bono as as the person and, and kind of character, I think, you know, kind of kind of wears that right. He's an easy scapegoat. It's, it's very similar kind of uh, to, to Tom Cruise, I think, in, in that sort of sense. But, you know, it, you know, kind of these political messaging and thing like that's not new to you too i mean obviously if you listen to this album it's it's very much uh been kind of the the backbone of the music and stories um and messages that have been created you know all the way back from the mid 80s to today and and yeah who who could blame you any band in the world uh, you know tim cook or out of his steve jobs maybe uh still then comes to you and says hey we're gonna put your album on on, on like 10 billion devices that sounds good to me it's free for everyone uh what could go wrong apparently apparently lots there so that, that could have something to do with the slide um i've also never seen you two in concert uh by all accounts it is uh something that is a uh, uh, life-changing um experience the people that go that love you two um certainly my brother is a huge you uh, two fan uh it's his favorite band he's seen them uh several times uh live and you know being my older brother i was always inclined to think that whatever he thought was pretty cool so i've always been a big you two fan uh myself and yeah the joshua tree is uh as important of an album, uh, not only for you two, but just kind of in the the history of music, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the legacy of it here um, as we get to the end. So let's uh, carry on with the album here, Michaela. Side two, um, as I mentioned, kind of kind of piggybacking off that running to stand still uh, kind of vibe. Looking at this folk tale in Ireland, we're talking Red Hill Mining Town. So another folk song here. Um, it's inspired by the English coal miners' strike in 1984, um, but it. The song was really kind of brought to life by this uh, professional friendship that Bono and Bob Dylan uh, were starting up there and kind of uh, this 
affinity for this uh, working class music of Bruce Springsteen uh, that Bono is really kind of falling in love with and trying to recreate here in this album. Um, I like how this song also it kind of is this uh, slowly building thing and it's kind of like anthematic um, in a way almost and I really like um, kind of here and you know really kind of a something that's true about the whole album is it's really kind of this simplistic but really well crafted like poetry of the album mm -hmm. like nothing is really like slapping you in the face with uh you know this kind of like visual imagery visual like storytelling but it's it's really uh kind of kind of nuanced and beautiful and i really like kind of the closing part here where it's uh saying you know lights go out on red hill lights go down on red hill lights go down on Red Hill Town, right? So, you know, what you're doing that's, you know, affecting these miners isn't affecting them. It's affecting everyone. Um, and I, I really think that that's beautiful. It's it's subtle and beautiful. Yeah, for sure. This really was this, I mean, we talked about this in the last song, right? Where I thought about things from an American perspective and then thought, well, you know, uh, this is an Irish band. So what, 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 like, why would they write about this? Is it actually about America at all? No, it wasn't. I mean, that was just me and my privilege uh, thinking it was somehow about me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but this song, uh, it was the same thing for me where it really opened my eyes uh, because we have, you know, we have coal mining uh, in, in the United States for sure. And the, 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 but, but we're not the only place in the world, um, strangely enough. Um, and so thinking about this uh, from a duality and from kind of just a humanistic way of the, these issues that are faced in like these coal town mine, these coal mining towns, like in Virginia and, and in, in Montana, even right where I grew up, um, that these issues and these same ideas of like a father and a son and uh, trying to figure things out and, and what that life is like uh, happens uh, on all over the world. And that, uh, again, there's there's this beautiful idea of America. There might be this beautiful idea of Ireland, right? At, you know, when you're not there and you haven't lived there, you've got this, you're like, everything's green and lush and beautiful. And, um, uh, you know, you've got you've got the idea of St. Patrick's Day and all of that. Um, but then there's there's very much like real life that is happening. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not uh, it, it's you know, America's not just the land of milk and honey. It's not it's not that there's a whole bunch of things that are, is happening. There's a lot of, uh, you know, in, in Ireland, the same thing, the political unrest, all of that uh, and, and seeps in through this song. And it's one of my favorites i've said this like four times uh about the songs on this album but it, it, it's one of my favorites for that reason yeah definitely definitely um and you bring up a good point and that's really going to lead into um here maybe that's why the album was constructed in this way you have kind of these three opus uh pieces and then a, a little bit more searing politically and then kind of these two um kind of you know folk tunes uh you know, going back to Ireland, but then we get into track number seven, um, in God's country, uh, which is really, you know, kind of, kind of dialing into what you just said. So, um, let's talk about this one here a little bit. It has kind of this, uh, Sunday, bloody Sunday sounding opening yes. to me. I think yeah. it, it's kind of this like guitar arpeggio sort of thing going on. Um, and this one, it's the tale of two Americas, right? Which was what the working title for the album was, um, as being kind of this, uh, seductive place of liberty and vanity. Um, the band apparently doesn't like this song, uh, on the album. It's, the shortest track on the album but it was one of the singles and it reached all the way up to number 44 on the uh, billboard charts um i really like uh, the guitar parts here i like how bono's voice kind of kind of is like falling uh down the scale um as you go through the chorus here but you know really it's it's talking like i said it's kind of the kind of the the two faces right so um it it's 
it's interesting to to think of like like an Irish band here in this instance, like looking at America and painting like this picture of America, mm-hmm. because, you know, for for us, you know, as you know, <laughs> citizens of the uh, great United States of America, you know, we're we're led to believe, uh, you know, one thing about America and but, you know, we're still living in it and dealing with it on the day to day basis. But for people that don't live here, you know. Uh, USA is is almost like this like this idea right it's like the mm. idea of America is something and you and you could say that you know kind of about it and any country in the world like you just mentioned you know thinking about things um in Ireland the way you know the way we think about Ireland is far different than the way people that you know are living there uh think about right. it so it's really kind of kind of looking at that but you know America has kind of propped itself up as you know being this uh idyllic idea of a place and it, it's kind of examining that and I think that it's really neat and in God's country does uh really fantastic job i think of uh of kind of you know highlighting the the kind of duality of it yeah oh for sure i really like the lyrics uh we'll set me a light we'll punch a hole right through the night every day the dreamers die and see what's on the other side because in both of these countries right um we've had this idea that there are people that are willing to die for what they believe in right i mean we get that shoved down our throats in public school history all the time that america you know we you know people died for our freedoms and what all that means right and in in an ireland with to me this was kind of it was between like northern and southern ireland and dealing with the you know the religious political issues there um, that people there believed so fervently in what they were doing, they were also willing to kill and die for it, you know? And so that duality was really uh, resonates with me in this song. It's interesting. I had no idea that they thought that you two, this is not their favorite. uh, This is their least favorite song. Um, That's interesting to me. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that that was a kind of interesting interesting. little tidbit. I mean, I guess every band has to have like a favorite and a least favorite, right? I mean, that makes (laughs) sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so let's see. That gets us into track number eight, Trip Through Your Wires. Uh, they got some sweet harmonica rock going on here. Uh, I really like that. Um, it's kind of this country and blues kind of thing. Uh, you might like hear this being played in like some like dusty, abandoned like bar that you're in on uh, on your travels out west. Um, I think that the song is great. Um, it's definitely more of like a lust song than a love song, I think. Um, I imagine this song is like this, uh, this little like hole in the wall that you stumble into. You know, you're going through your journey right and still haven't found what i'm looking for you know you're climbing you're climbing the highest mountains uh you're you're uh, storming the city walls but eventually you find yourself out west in this uh dusty little bar uh and this song is playing and you are just in desperate need of some sort of human and physical connection uh angel or devil i was thirsty and you wet my lips uh so says the lyrics here and i really like that yeah no i I was gonna say those those are probably hmm, they might be my favorite lyrics um uh on this song i i think in this journey when you get to that place of desperation it's a very dangerous place to be um when you become emotionally desperate for that connection because uh you're almost willing to trust uh anybody with your heart um and uh with your belief system as well like when you become uh like spiritually devastated or spiritually desperate where it's like you're des- like i think of this as a giant journey to find meaning uh you'll listen to any snake oil salesman that's like this is the way <laughs> i need eight thousand dollars and this is the way or 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 something else entirely where it's like you have to give up everything that you've ever cared about or um sugar is bad i mean any of the things that we've been taught in in life could 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 fit this 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 song is great i love kind of its its placement here as you get through um you know kind of the kind of these folk songs and then and then it gets into this and like i said it's almost like a 
like a like a rebuttal <laughs> to a still haven't found what i'm looking for and i really like the way that it sounds it sounds really fun uh then we get to maybe the most emotionally charged song here on the album uh or at least one of them one tree hill uh this was written about a friend that the band made during uh while touring in new zealand who died in a motorcycle accident so uh therefore it's very sentimental sounding uh, apparently they did not perform this uh song at all uh on the uh, kind of first tour because bono didn't think that he could make it through singing the song um which is which is really kind of kind of sad and touching um i think um it ends with kind of this uh run to the ocean run to the sea uh kind of it's it's almost like spoken and it takes on kind of like this prayer like quality to it mm -hmm. uh, which i find uh, really really beautiful um because all the rest of the music kind of drops out and it's just you know bono kind of kind of reading uh through those lines and i really like the line in here uh uh Jara sang his song A Weapon in the Hands of Love, uh, which is a reference to uh, Victor Jara, uh, who's a Chilean uh, musician and activist. But yeah, uh, his song A Weapon in the Hands of Love. How could you not like that? Yeah, right. Uh, uh, it's so it's this one was like super heart wrenching to listen to. Um, I'd heard it, uh, gosh, a dozen times. I think that this, this song was used um, in a lot of like television uh films and see i distinctly remember it in a scene from er uh, that was like 10 years maybe 15 years after the this album came out um it is super emotional and um but i didn't really internalize it uh until like listening to it for the sake of this album and then doing the research and seeing the story behind it so um really hard to listen to um and i don't blame i don't blame bono at all i would have been like i can't sing this i i, I could barely record this thing <laughs> there's no way um yeah yeah i wonder yeah, i wonder if his friend i wonder if his friend was also like uh love jara and that's why this is kind of an homage to that and and um i always wonder about some of these decisions when people make um write songs about friends or about family like how they put those things together um mm -hmm. as a as a tribute to them but also telling um the story about what happens to them because uh, those are two different things um right. and so it's interesting i I'd, I'd love to know i'll have to if anybody knows send send us a message let us know for sure. Yeah, so it's it's a beautiful song. It's very touching. Um, and then you get into uh, track number ten, exit, uh, which is a little bit more unhinged for uh, for sure. So I love uh, how uh, unhinged the fervor of this song has. Um, apparently, this song came together in kind of like this jam session on the final day of recording. Um, and it was inspired by the book, The Executioner's Song, by Norman Mailer. Um, I love kind of this fuzzy guitar bit that's going going through and like this weird sort of like guitar slide that plays over this bass riff uh, in the middle of the song. That sounds great. Listen for that. Um, and one day, we're going to talk about The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails, which is as dark and depressing uh, and... Uh I don't know, <laughs> terrible uh, as as an album could be. But I have to assume that this song was some sort of inspiration for it because it sounds so deranged and so dark. Yeah. Um, and apparently um, there were more verses to the song uh, that Bono had written uh, that kind of told the story a little bit more but they decided to take those out and leave the song a little bit more ambiguous which is why i think that it's that it works really really well yeah no it's it's a mystery that's not really a mystery for me for sure um and i love that where it leaves us wanting more absolutely um i definitely thought this was i wrote it down it it, it sounds uh this downward spiral-esque uh totally i feel 
um I'm glad that you know what the what the guitar parts mean because I was like this cool part in the middle is really cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's my expert opinion, uh, people. <laughs> this cool part in the middle is really cool. Sounds but yeah, cool. that the, the slide or yeah, you what you said. Um, I I also really liked um, the um, this piece. His hand in his pocket, his finger on the steel. The pistol weighed heavy. His heart, he could feel, was beating, beating, beating. Oh, my love. Oh, just shit. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, darn. Wow. How about darn. wow? Let's... <laughs> darn, indeed. Um, And apparently, Robert John Bardo, or murdering Rebecca Schaefer, actually used this as part of his defense, this song, as uh, that he listened to the song, and it made him so unhinged, and that's why uh, he uh, committed that murder. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a really dark song. It might be my... It might be my favorite song on the album, you know, aside from kind of the the top three uh, there, of course. And, you know, this song is is dark and a little bit more violent. And you two decided to include the song uh, here on this album because they wanted something with a bit of a violent edge to lead us into the final track, which is track number 11, Mothers of the Disappeared. So the mothers represented here in the song are the Madres de Plaza de Mayo, uh, who are searching for the kidnapped children from the dictator-led regimes of Chile and Argentina. So you'll see kind of a, a theme uh, here on the uh, political stance of this album, for sure. Um, it's got kind of a plucky little like Spanish guitar uh, sort of thing. And then it's got, uh, it's using a drum machine, which has kind of like this droning quality to it. It's, it's real moving. Um, and, you know, kind of like the rest of the album here, I mentioned it before, it, it's kind of, it's kind of painting this picture. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's really, it's really kind of kind of subtle in the imagery that it's using um uh, pretty great here um and it's it's kind of like a like a almost like a like a rip the band-aid off moment here for kind of the end of the album i think right um yeah. uh, pretty pretty searing right to get uh, these themes throughout the album of religious fulfillment equality tragedy hope and despair um and kind of when this album ends here uh, with mothers of the disappear uh to me in the way that i kind of kind of feel and the way i think about it is you're kind of left at almost like this crossroads thing right where uh which side of this road do you want to go down um and i think that that's that's kind of beautiful and uh kind of neat that you know, an album, you know, 50 minutes of music can, can, you know, leave you in a place like that, which is pretty great. Yeah. Now th this song was really hard to hear. Um, I wonder, um, and I'd have to do more research uh, to know, but I wonder if any of uh, the band had children at this point um, that they wrote and, and did this song. Um, I, I, as a parent, it's very hard um, to, actively learn about uh crimes like that right where ch children are taken with you know kidnappings whether it's politically driven or not these sorts of things are really really difficult um the the lyrics of um in the trees our sons stand naked and through the walls our daughters cry see their tears in the rainfall i mean oh my gosh um it's you know very much like you two have been like, you know, playing with our emotions, not playing with our emotions, but they've been they've been tempering us and 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 taking us through. And this to me is just the absolute worst, like like it's a mom's worst nightmare, like your kids are just gone and they're nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so you you hear them through this space. Um, and so it's it's really 
and, and that, it's really hard because I, I, I obviously thought of it that way, but then, you know, we're coming off this, like the spiritual journey. And so it's like, are we the kidnapped children and the, the answers that we've been so desperately looking for are, are also are, are there um, and they're looking for us and we're the tears in the waterfall and we're, you know, we're the ones who are the silent criers like, on the other side of the wall, like this, this kind of idea that what we think we've lost is what is ourselves. Uh, and, and like you said, a crossroads, like, what do we do with this now? Mm -hmm. It's a really nice sort of, sort of sad kind of, kind of end piece to this, this album, which, uh, like I said, is, you know, part uh, magnum opus and part you know kind of gospel um and part kind of evangelical telling from from you two here but it captures on a lot of themes that are um really kind of designed i think to 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 make you think right he was exploring you know kind of kind of the idea of this uh american uh folk type of music to kind of pair with this more traditional um irish type of folk music that they were you know a little bit more familiar with and you know kind of the you know the more punk rock sounds i guess of the the music that u2 is more associated with up into the point that this album came out and um obviously it comes out and it kind of kind of sweeps the world by storm um it's interesting in a lot of ways to me because sometimes you have albums like you know that are that are considered you know amongst you know the greatest you know pieces of art uh, ever composed um and a lot of times it takes time for that to kind of sink in for people to realize that to realize the genius of it you know we spoke about that uh, with Joni Mitchell's blue right it's it's only you know kind of been in the last 10 years where it's really being propped up as this uh work of art that it is um but this one pretty much hit kind of straight off and i think a lot of that's probably you know the power of those first three tracks um you know just just incredibly uh well written beautiful uh, you know timeless songs that are you know are are two of the you know best 500 songs of all time at least according to to rolling stone so um it has yeah. kind of it has kind of that interest uh you know in it as well is that you know now it's you know propped up as this uh as this masterpiece but it's always been heralded as something that was just brilliant so yeah i think when 30 percent of your songs are like epically amazing and are considered <laughs> that immediately i mean i i am a little surprised that this album hasn't gotten uh it didn't get higher on like the best albums of all time because mm -hmm. uh even people who aren't fans of you two like even my husband who is like this diehard pearl jam fan and again i don't understand that dichotomy if someone understands that uh like was there a was there like a fist fight or like an arm wrestling match in 1992 when Pearl Jam came out and was like you can't it's mutually exclusive you can either like one or the other I don't understand it but um but even he was like this is the best album it's so good we were listening to it uh on our on our long car ride uh, a couple of times because I was trying to make good notes and he was like god this is just such a great album <laughs> and so I mean even when when you're when people who love to hate on YouTube for whatever reason thinks that this is one of the the best albums of all time I'm really surprised it's not higher uh yeah for sure um I will uh leave with this because i don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole about u2 and pearl jam but uh u2 and pearl jam have performed together here's a video of uh bono with uh, eddie vetter and mike mccready uh performing rocking in the free world uh together in hawaii they do a lot of uh philanthropic work uh together so i don't really understand that at all um there's there's place in your heart for more than one love i will i'll leave it at that so um yeah so that is uh u2's the joshua tree it is 
um it's a it's a staggeringly beautiful uh piece of work so if you haven't listened to uh you know youtube beyond those first three tracks definitely give the rest of it a listen to um it's only 50 minutes so it's not a huge uh time commitment to get into it for sure it is well worth your time and you can kind of see um you know kind of kind of the reason why you two then you know with the release of this album actually before the release of this album even were considered the band of the so this hadn't even come out when they were proclaimed the band of the 80s they're like well you haven't seen anything yet <laughs> so so that's that's kind of amazing i guess uh on a side note so um i don't know michaela that that's about it uh we could go we could go on and on um about it and people have uh, analyzed this album to death but we think that it is pretty good check it out and make sure that you check out our uh, cocktail the prickly pear whiskey sour while you're listening to it it's a really good one and it is uh pinkish in color so make sure you send a picture of that michaela will love to see that so send it in on our social medias it's at drink the movies on instagram and x and threads it's facebook.com slash drink the movies uh, you can go to our website www.drinkthemovies.com you can get uh, recipes pictures episode recaps all that good stuff there uh do that and make sure that you check out our patreon site patreon.com slash drink the movies that's where we have album polls that's where we have bonus content we just had a little bonus about the killer's hot fuss murder trilogy so we had we had a murder trilogy last week michaela and now we have a pretty murderous song here too and exit so i don't know what that says about us but uh go check that out patreon it's a great way to support the podcast and we appreciate our patrons so much michaela if people want to get signed up to make sure they're you know in tune with us when we got the next album coming out where can they do that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Good Pods. Not Stitcher. Stitcher's not Stitcher anymore. What's sorry. Sorry, Stitcher listeners. <laughs> sorry. I hope you're listening on something else. <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, whatever you're hearing us on right now, there's a subscribe button. And if you subscribe, you're going to get two drops a week, generally. Um, that's if you're not on our Patreon. We have all extra good stuff on Patreon, which you should check out as well. Um, but if you're loving uh, drink the movies, drink the music, all of that. Uh, tell your friends, leave a five-star review. Uh, it really helps us get the drink the movies, drink the music out there. Uh, fun fact, uh, Brian, we have yet again topped our, our listenership uh, this last week. Uh, mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm so excited uh, that we're reaching more people to talk gonna... about our love of cocktails, movies, music, all of the things. It's so exciting. I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to the Beatles and or the Killers. Probably not us, but uh, maybe. Oh yeah, maybe, it's maybe definitely not me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it could be, it could be. No, but we're uh, we're blown away by the supports, and we're blown away that people are listening to us talk about albums at all. It's been a lot of fun. So uh, make sure you stay tuned. We're gonna have Volume Nine coming out next week. We just have to get that Patreon poll up, uh, pick a drink, and we'll be ready to chat about it. So thanks you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Drink Drink the, the Music. music. With or without you. <laughs> I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mm.